Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The St. Louis Zoo is one of the region's most treasured assets. One of the reasons why is the way it's been managed over the years. Two longtime employees share a lot of the credit for that. They'll be retiring in the coming days and weeks after a total of almost 70 years at the zoo. Vice President of Animal Collections Jack Grisham is stepping down from his post on March 29th. He's had a 50-year zoo career, more than 30 of those at our zoo. Veterinarian R. Eric Miller came to the St. Louis Zoo from Ohio in 1981 as a veterinary resident and, in 1983, joined the veterinary staff. He will retire in April. Gentlemen, great to have you here. It's our pleasure. You great all look here. like you're anticipating with great relish what's <laughs> going to be happening to, to you in the, in the weeks. Jack, let me start with you. Um, isn't it tough to walk away after all these years? It's scary. It's very scary. I've basically have worked at the zoo since I was 16 years old, working in the concession stands, flipping hamburgers, and eventually got a full-time job being hired by Marlon Perkins in 1969 as an animal keeper. And uh, being able to work my way up through the ranks. And I mean, that band gave us a lot of inspiration and being able to work at the zoo and be invested in it. Um, 30 years at the St. Louis Zoo plus 20 years at other zoos working in Oklahoma City and for the Smithsonian National Zoo in Washington, D.C. Let's talk for a moment with you and with Eric about uh, about Marlon Perkins. We, we did talk off the air and he was just something else, wasn't he, in this field? He was an amazing man. He brought wildlife conservation to everyone. He brought the first uh, show on TV, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, which was originally called Zoo Parade. Mm -hmm. And when he brought it to St. Louis, he tied the zoos and wildlife conservation together, which a lot of people never put together. They looked at zoos more as an amusement type thing, and he started saying how zoos played a role in conservation. Mm -hmm which gradually built up over the years. And without people like Marlon Perkins and Charlie Hessel and Jeffrey Bonner and all leading these charges all the way through, we wouldn't be the great institution that we are today. Mm. And being able to do everything in, at the zoo is because of all the great support we get from the people of St. Louis City and St. Louis County. You know, with the Zoo Museum District, we get a lot of support. And without that, we couldn't do what we're doing today. And a lot of it is that love affair that the people have with St. Louis Zoo. Uh, you come out as a child, your parents bring you out. Then you become a teenager and you bring your boyfriend or girlfriend out to the zoo. You get a little bit older, you bring your kids out to the zoo. And then all of a sudden you start the cycle again because you're bringing your grandkids to the zoo. And people love to come to the zoo and see what's going on and learn about animals. They ought to hire you uh, in your retirement as being a spokesman for this. You do a pretty good job of it. Eric, how about you and Marlon Perkins? Did you have a chance to work with him at all? I met him a little later, but he was always so very kind to me, even when I was a junior veterinarian. And I shared the story uh, before I led my first trip to Africa. He invited me over his to his house to talk about it and how to lead a trip. Mm -hmm. And I said it must be how Moses felt when he got the tablets mm -hmm. to have Marlon Perkins tell you how to to go to Africa. But even then you could tell his passion for conservation, as Jack said, laid the groundwork for where the zoo is today. What kind of work were you doing in Africa? At that point we were looking at, my specialty at that point was black rhinoceroses. So looking at rhinoceroses and leading St. Louisans to see what Africa was like in the wild, better connecting the animals at the zoo with those in the wild that we're protecting today better connecting them. How so? Well, I'm a retiring as director of the conservation program. We call it the Wild Care Institute. 
And we're working on 12 major projects and many more in countries all around the world in protecting animals in the wild, supporting the communities around them, as well as taking care of them at the zoo. We like to say we're taking care of animals both here in St. Louis and where they come from, because so many of them, many of the common animals that you see at the zoo, common, I put in quotes, whether it be elephants or tigers or giraffes, are in trouble in the wild. That's no question about that. We're hearing an awful lot about it. It's, what what has been your most recent, uh, Jack, your most recent work at the zoo? One of the, my passions has been working with cheetahs. I've worked with them for over 40 years, mm-hmm. and I've had the privilege of working not only at the St. Louis Zoo. I was there when we had our first cheetah litter barn back in the late 70s, up until uh, working with Steve Bircher, our curator of uh, mammals, when we just had our uh, most recent litter born a little over a year ago. But I've also had the opportunity to work with cheetahs in Southern Africa, and I coordinated a national breeding program for cheetahs that not only linked the animals that we have here at the zoo to the animals in the wild, but helped develop some of the field conservation work. We brought together field researchers from around the world in Southern Africa in the early 2000s and got them to unify on some of the uh, major issues there. We looked at radio trapping animals, uh, being able to do photo ID on animals. So we get an idea of how many animals are actually left in the wild and what are some of the major crises that are going on and how zoos could help. And zoos help with education programs, both in the wild and in uh, animals in human care. Mm. How has this era, how has this zoo evolved over the time that you've been there? What's different about it now? Well, obviously the exhibits are much more uh, advanced for the animals. We're constantly improving animal care and animal welfare. And the conservation program that started in a major way in 1997 mm. has more than quadrupled in funding and work in the field. So um, I think St. Louis in many ways is at the forefront. I'm not from St. Louis, so I chose to stay here. I've been here 38 years. I, I don't have a high school here. But uh, it's just stayed here always because the zoo is evolving so quickly and so at the forefront of uh, zoological institutions in the United States. Jack, what's the biggest change you've seen in your 50 years in the business? I think the way we care for animal has improved. It's continually improving every day. The new exhibitry that Eric mentioned earlier that we're building at the zoo is looking more at what's best for the animals. We're constantly looking for ways of making sure we're putting animals in the proper social structure, that we have the proper habitats for them, and we've got great veterinary care, research opportunities at the zoo, and we look at the way we uh, manage animals because animals in human care are the ambassadors for the animals in nature, and they're the ones that help tell the story. I was talking to someone earlier about you can watch all the National Geographic specials you want on TV and you think you know a lot about an elephant or a cheetah or anything, but until you're at the zoo and you can see the animal moving, smell the animal, notice the behavior, the uh, vocalizations, that's when you really learn something. It's that one-on-one experience of being close and sensing all that. Eric, one of the things that I've learned recently in watching some of the kinds of programs that uh, Jack has been talking about here was the, f- the fact that so many animals have human-like emotions, and I'm thinking primarily of, of elephants, and that they, they mourn, and they yes. ha- have that kind of uh, reaction to events that a human would have. Uh, definitely, and certainly some of the others like the great apes. And so, as Jack said, we work in keeping them in the proper social groups 
in the wild, elephants are matriarchal. Our herd has a matriarch. Mm-hmm. And so we, we make it in ways that it's like they're, uh, uh, it's similar to their natural behavior. And so uh, we see much more natural behaviors from them when we handle them in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, I had to uh, euthanize a gorilla that had severe uh, disease issues. It was one of the saddest things I ever did. But when I went to say his name was Fred, Fred, I'm really sorry this didn't turn out. Turn out because it was the only humane option at that point. And the recognition in his face was amazing that he understood that we tried our best and it just wasn't going to go the way we'd hoped. Jack, what about your relationship with animals? Are some of those relationships stronger than others? Do you get as close as as, uh, Eric has just indicated? Of course, just like you would with your dog or cat at home. The keepers and the staff that work at the zoo invest more time with their animals at the zoo than they do with their families. It's an unfortunate thing to say, but they're there at the zoo eight to nine hours a day, and we all get emotionally attached to the animals. There have been numerous animals over the years that I've had the privilege to work with, and the zoo has given us great opportunities to learn about animals. We learn every day. That's the exciting part about the zoo field. You're constantly learning about animals. You learn something new every day, and you want to share that information. So there's nothing you can do better than to be at the zoo and learn about these magnificent animals. Mm-hmm. Eric, have, have you, and, and I'll ask Jack the same question, over the years been able to uh, give advice or make recommendations that, uh, that have changed the zoo in any way? I think we both can point to many examples. Uh, one of the examples I think of is uh, I'm like a birder. I look at zoos wherever I go, and I keep a list. And I saw a small zoo in England in a town called Colchester, and they had an underwater uh, tunnel for the sea lions. And we came home as we were getting ready to design ours, and we said, we need a tunnel like that. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that makes that exhibit really exciting. But also just, again, in the animal welfare to help that evolve and how we care uh, for the animals, not only in health as a veterinarian, but in the overall behavior of those animals. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jack? Well, there's <clears throat> numerous things that we have done, but I see the zoo as a profession and being part of that, of looking at the way we enrich the animal's environment. We give them things. We don't just put food out for mm-hmm. them. We make them go looking for food just like they would in nature, of being able to interact all the way through. Being part of the zoo's design teams for numerous exhibits, including sea lion sound that Eric just described, but Polar Bear Point and Grizzly Ridge, these are all exhibits that we looked at giving the animals the best environment possible. What does the polar bear need? What does the grizzly bear need? You know, one time people just thought you put them out on habitat and you go from there. Now we look at what's the best Mm. thing for these animals. The sea lions, the polar bears all have temperature-controlled water year-round. They have a better life than you and I. But the water doesn't freeze, but it's chilled during the summer for the polar bears so they have a good environment. The sea lions are heated during the winter so the water doesn't freeze and they have an open space to swim around. We have water quality control. Underneath Sea Lion Sound is almost two stories of life support equipment, filters, ozone machines, and everything to keep that water clean. We're looking to make sure we give the animals the best possible environment. Mm-hmm. Eric, uh, the the polar bears at the zoo probably have it better than the polar bears in the Arctic right now. I'm sure this is something you're paying attention to. Absolutely. Uh, It's a very sad case with the polar ice breaking up and many bears now in several areas dying of starvation. So 
as Jack said, they have chilled water, they have ice in the summer, uh, they're always a- available to go, they're always allowed to go in their back air-conditioned areas on a really ghastly St. Louis day. They have the option of picking where they want to be. But that's unfortunately not true for the polar bears in many areas of Canada and the Arctic Circle. Jack, I'm sure that you're paying close attention as well. We do. We worry about this every day. We look at what can we do to help improve their environment. One thing that zoos do is they support conservation and education programs in nature. Plus, we educate people here at the zoo. We talk about climate change at the Polar Bear Point point exhibit. And we talk about a lot of great things that you can do here in your own backyard. You can do plants to attract uh, native pollinators coming through. You can look at shade structures around your house to cut down on the amount of energy that we use. There are numerous things we can do to cut back on to help cut down on the greenhouse gases. We are talking with uh, Jack Grisham and Eric uh, Miller, uh, two men, gentlemen who are about to retire from long careers at the uh, at the St. Louis Zoo. And, uh, you know, it's so fascinating to have spent all this time and seen the changes and started with someone like Marlon Perkins. But I want to go back to, to Eric with regard to some of the work you're doing. And I understand with uh, giant pandas and, and tigers. That sounds pretty fascinating. In the past, I had the good fortune to work in China on South China tigers and the giant pandas. Uh, and look at their health. I, I was a practicing veterinarian then. And working in China was one of the more challenging but uh, fun things that we did. You know, this zoo was one of the first in North America. I think we were the second, actually, to have giant pandas. And they lived here from till 1954, I believe. So exciting animals. We don't have them now because they're incredibly um, difficult and expensive to keep, but uh, to be able to work with them. More recently, we're working with animals in Africa and South America, which has also been exciting. We're one of the leaders on Galapagos birds and their health and on uh, the health of mountain vipers in Armenia. How do you work with a tiger? I mean, tigers are dangerous. <laughs> yeah. You learn anesthesia as a zoo veterinarian very quickly. <laughs> and so uh, I always joke with friends, the bites I have on my hands aren't from tigers. They're from smaller animals that weren't anesthetized. Mm-hmm. My worst bite was from a prairie dog. So tigers are actually, with, with an anesthesia, we're never uh, overly confident, but it's safe. And we, we examine them and take blood samples. would examine the health of the tigers in China and also the, also the tigers here. Well, Jack, it can be dangerous, this business that you've been in for so long. It is. And you have to practice safety every day. That's the main thing that we talk to the staff about is practice safety. Not only when you lock a lock, double check the locks before you go home. Always make sure things are there. You have to know your animals. Uh, These are dangerous animals. These are all wild animals. None of them, people have the impression that the animals at the zoo may be pets. They're not. Mm -hmm. These are all wild animals. We treat them that way. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly talking about safety and what's best for the animal and for the staff. Have there been any incidents over the years in which animals have attacked staff or uh, or visitors? Um, I can't think of at our zoo, but there have been at other zoos, and it's usually human error. Um, of some type, but none that we can think of, I can think of right off the top of my head here at the zoo. Eric, there has been something, as I understand it, of a birth spurt at the zoo (laughs) recently. A lot of of animals are having children. Yes, calves and uh, 
babies and pups, and they're all managed in programs that watch the genetics of the animals. We call it the national, it's even international dating service. So our tiger might be matched with a tiger from a zoo in Denver, or uh, uh, the uh, gorillas might be matched with other gorillas. So that <clears throat> it's a managed program, but it's an exciting time because it's important to manage those populations because some of them in the future may be reintroduced to the wild. Mm. Jack, how accepting are animals of newcomers to their, to their space? It's just like if you get a new dog or cat at home, you have to do a gradual acclimation. All new animals that come to the St. Louis Zoo go through a 30-day minimum quarantine period at the veterinary hospital, and that's to make sure that they're acclimated to the new um, habitat here and also to the food that we'll give them here. And then when we take them down to their habitat, we start doing what we call a howdy, where they're looking at another animal in between a mesh door in between. So it's kind of like saying, hi, how are you? Um, but they get to introduce each other back and forth before we start introducing them. How long does it typically take for the It depends on the species. species Sometimes it takes just a few hours. Other times it takes a few weeks. And the longest uh, time, what particular animal would it be? Uh, sometimes some of the big cats are the most dangerous to get uh, introduced because they can turn on each other just like two domestic cats can. You never know what may set one off. So you, you're always being apprehensive and doing what's best for the animal. Only less than a minute left. Erica, anything going to be happening at the zoo in the future that you're going to miss in retirement? I think the expansion into our new property in North County is extremely exciting. It has such an impact on breeding animals, their overall welfare, conservation. Um, that will be, uh, uh, I'll look forward to watching that. Uh, um, 30 seconds left, uh, Jack. I'm going to miss not only the animals, but the people that work at the zoo. It's a dedicated group of people that are constantly looking to do the best thing for the animals in their care. Well, gentlemen, congratulations on your long careers and the fine work that you've been doing at the St. Louis Zoo. Hope you enjoy your retirement. Thank you very Thank much. You. You've been talking with Jack Grisham and Eric Miller. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Marsh. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWNU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.